Hi, I'm Father Roderick, and welcome to a new episode of The Walk. Actually, it is the first episode of The Walk in the new year, 2017. I skipped last week because, well, it was <laughs> a week of recovery. It's been insanely busy. I'll talk a little bit more about that later on in this show. But let me first tell you what kind of day it is. Um, it's, it's a weird day. It's winter, definitely winter, but it's not that cold However, they did predict very, very cold weather ahead, in, in, and it's going to arrive later today. It's, it's kind of hard to believe, because I do see clouds. It's still morning. Uh, there's also a bit of blue sky ahead of me. The sun is still present. It's a bit of a, a, bit of a watery sun, but it, it's there. And on my left, they are demolishing an old school building next to the place where I live, which is a good thing for the neighborhood because the school had been uh, out, of, out of use for two years now and it was an old building so now they're going to build new houses um, so it's going to be an upgrade the downside of that is that they have been demolishing the building and they're currently working on the street here and getting rid of the debris and that is waking me up every morning at 7 o'clock because that's when they start and it's right next to my uh, the room where I sleep next almost underneath my window so that doesn't make for uh, much recovery in terms of sleeping hours but it's weird it's still calm it's not that cold but for later this afternoon they predicted um, snowstorms like there are several inches of snow and uh, and and stormy weather especially in the coastal area which happens to be the place where I have to travel. <laughs> in about an hour from now, I have to go there to film an item for another TV episode um, that needs to be uh, ready by the end of next week. And it's been kind of a, a very, very hectic schedule lately with the filming and all, and that has also to do with the craziness of the the past few well it's about a month and a half now it's been going on non-stop I have to cross the road here Let's see is it yeah when you hear the the sound of the, <laughs> uh, the the ticking sound that's to alert blind people that they can cross hmm, cleaning the bridges here I'm uh, walking across a canal over a bridge and these bridges have not been cleaned in a long time so they're using these high pressure water hoses to uh, clean them up I guess it's a better idea to do that this is the generator that you hear in a truck <laughs> it's probably a better idea to do that today than rather than tomorrow when it's going to be really bad winter weather this morning I um I went to see, or I went, I went for a cup of coffee normally at uh, 10 o'clock at the parish. The volunteers that are working downstairs and the sacristans that are always, almost on a daily basis, working at the church, uh, they, they gather to get a cup of coffee and usually I join them if I have time to chat. And our, one of our permanent deacons was there too. First thing he says when I entered the room is, man, you look like you just came out of bed, which was not the case. 
<laughs> I'd been up for several hours already. But, but I told him, well, I feel like I just came out of bed. And he says, yeah, yeah, you look very, very tired. And you know what? I do look tired. When I look at myself in the mirror, I look very, very tired. I've got these big bags under my eyes. Um, even the my skin is kind of patchy and... Uh, I, I feel exhausted and it's because I am. I've been working non-stop since November, I think. And uh, the, the work has been in three categories. Of course, it's this massive effort that we put into uh, building up Tridio, um, producing podcasts, trying to uh, find a workflow that can enable us to give you daily content on a number of uh, various. Good <laughs> morning, um, To give you daily content on an, on a, in in, a, in in different areas. So you've got the break, you've got the walk. Those are guaranteed uh, on on a weekly basis. So that's two days. But then we also try to do these secrets shows about movies, TV shows. We've got the Star Wars uh, episodes from time to time. Uh, we just released an, uh, a panel discussion on the latest Doctor Who Christmas special. And we're also working on new Lego videos and, and other content. In addition to that, uh, we've been uh, ramping up our efforts in on social media because um, one of the the big uh, f- focus points for us is to build up community. And we feel that more than ever before, uh, social media are the place to do that and to create a conversation and to get together. But that requires a good, steady stream of fun and cool and shareable content. Otherwise, you know, if there's no content, there's not going to be a community. It's like, if there's no beer, you're not going to have a bar. <laughs> <laughs> if there's no cake, there's no party. And so uh, in order to do that, um, we switched from Hootsuite that we were using as a, an app that helped us manage the various accounts because, of course, we have a Twitter account, Facebook account, and then both in English and in, the, in Dutch. And then we still have the older SQPN accounts, which were also kind of migrating, or we're kind of moving the community uh, from one place to another, which in itself already requires quite a bit of focus and attention to do that properly and do that well. And I'm pretty happy with the way that we've been able to introduce the Tridio as the, the brand of the, like the name that is associated with our content. But at the same time, it, we want to give it enough time. This is not something you have to do for, you know, in, in, in a few days. This, this, you have to do this gently um, and make sure that every, everybody comes along. So um, we, we do have a number of accounts. And then we had this plethora of Facebook pages. Um, and back then, uh, a few years ago, when we did all these different Secrets Off shows... Um, which, in, in retrospect, was pro- probably too ambitious. We, we tried to do way too much, and it was, logistically, it was a nightmare to get everyone together, like, on a weekly basis. Imagine 22 
24 episodes sometimes per season of a TV show, getting together every single week and everybody, like panels with four, five, six people. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't even know how we pulled it off. But we thought at the time that, well, the way to reach audiences is to be omnipresent. And so we created specific Facebook pages and, and Twitter accounts for every show. And we applied all the tricks in the book to gather communities around those feeds. But what we did not calculate, it was something that we didn't realize at the time, is, again, what's a community if you don't feed it on a regular basis? And if you have, and I think we had like 12, 14 different Facebook pages and, and Twitter accounts linked to them, that's that's a that's a job for four or five people to maintain that and we could not of course compete with all the other stuff that's out there if you you know name any big franchise nowadays and you have so many websites to choose from so many social media pages and communities that yes we did gather large groups around those social media accounts but then we could not we could not bring them to the other part of the community, nor did we have the the people and the resources to keep those communities alive. And so last year, that was a, the year of the big changes within our organization, but also, more, much more importantly, the change of focus, the, 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 the new choices where we decided we want to go, we really want to go for the community, we want that to be a community that evangelizes with the content that we do. We focus on, on what we do best, and that is to build these bridges between popular culture and the tradition and the, 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 the wisdom of, of, the, of Catholicism. And, uh, and it has to be fun. It has to be a, a, a community where you like to be. And um, So in order to pull that off, we've we knew that we had to change the brand we knew that we had to consolidate our communities into the community around Tridio that was the only way that was uh, feasible but also for us more desirable because you want to bring not just want to bring people in into their own little you know group of, of fans of Doctor Who or Star Wars but you want to bring them in contact with the rest of the community that's that's how you build friendships and um, how you create cross-pollination and friendships that transcend the borders of just one particular franchise or, 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 or topic. So um, the, this whole operation of, of trimming the amount of social media accounts, helping those communities to join the bigger stream around Tridio, we've only just begun. And so we, we switched from... Hootsuite to Buffer. We've been using Buffer in the past, but we were cheapskates. So <laughs> Buffer gives you one free account um, per email address. And with that account, you can manage one, I think, like two, two things, or Facebook and Twitter or something like that, but it's very, very limited. But then we just created new email addresses for every show, and so we had, <laughs> I don't know, 12, 14 Buffer accounts at one point, you know, nobody was using them. We decided to get rid of them. And, and I've always had a kind of a mixed relationship with 
Hootsuite, um, I know it's used a lot and it has some very powerful features. Um, it enables you to manage YouTube, for instance, which Buffer doesn't do. Um, and, and it is kind of the, the industry standard, I think, for social media, for, for companies that are using a lot of, you know, the, use social media for their, for their uh, to build up their, their business. Um, but I never really liked the style of Hootsuite, the, the, the interface. It felt clunky. It felt like hard to use and not fun to use. That's probably the biggest issue that I had with it. Like every time I opened Hootsuite, I was like, oh, here we go again. You got to figure out how, how to cross post. And, and it also, and this is so interesting because you'd expect Hootsuite to, you know, as the leader, basically, I think they have the biggest, the, the biggest um, amount of, of customers uh, that they would have good scheduling tools. And we are working with an international community. So we have people that are part of our community all over the world, which ideally is something you want to take into account when you are posting your updates. You want to have those updates to have maximum reach, but not every stream has the same audience. Tridio in Dutch, of course, has a very different, it's targeted to a different audience, different time zone. In Hootsuite, it was, un, it was impossible to, to set that for individual streams. Buffer allows you to do that. And what's more, Buffer does an analysis of your followers on Twitter, on Facebook, and gives you a chart of when that audience, and this is still in beta, so I'm not sure if it's very reliable, but it does give you an approximation of the, the times where the likelihood of people seeing your updates is the highest and it auto schedules your post to that uh, no matter if you post three per day or five per day or ten a day it will do that automatically and that's it's something that buffer does in a very elegant easy to use way and so we switched and now i'm filling up buffer but as you can imagine that too requires time and a certain attention and focus uh, not to mention energy, creative energy. It's also a creative, a creative job. It's like when I uh, compile topics for the break, for instance. I got to sit down and I got to find a good balance of things to talk about. And with social media commu- communication, it's the same thing. You want to find a good balance of different posts. And of course, not every post should be like go click on this link and listen to our podcast that it has no that has not much value um especially to newcomers so you want to have a ratio of like i don't know 70% of your posts should be things that anyone can appreciate and 30% of your posts can be like hey if you like what we post here why don't you check out this or that and um that is a a ratio that we've been experimenting with in the past on individual accounts like um uh, I think we had once upon a time, and you can spend quite a bit of effort into building up a community there. And she was posting a lot of news uh, about the television series, and that brought in thousands of of, of community members. And so, and every once in a while, we would plug our show, and that's how we got a big audience for a podcast. Tens of thousands of people were listening to that podcast because they found out about it through our social media communities. 
Um, so that's something that we would like to apply to our current strategy as well and bring people into our Tridio community by making sure that it's worth your time, it's worth your while following Tridio on Facebook and on Twitter. But it's even though Buffer makes it very easy, it's still time that you have to put into that. So that's, that's the first area um, where I put in a lot of effort in the past few months. Um, and I'm happy with the result. I'm very proud that we've been able to bring you so many shows um, in, the, in the past few months. And it's definitely something I want to keep doing and even increase over time with uh, new shows and new hosts. But it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time because we're a small organization. And, well, it's, it's not, not everyone is, a, uh, is an accomplished podcaster or, or, or YouTube producer from the get-go. So we're, we're taking our time to build that up. The second area where I put in a lot of work, evidently as a priest, is my parish over the past few months, especially towards the end of the year. It's Christmas time. Um, there are lots of celebrations with many, many people. And I've started a new project, which I think I've already talked about a few episodes ago, um, which is geared towards renewal in our parish. And the central, the central focus of that renewal is changing the mentality of my parishioners in the various locations that we have. We have communities around a, a number of church buildings. They're all former parishes, but now they're part of this big parish. And it's vital, I think, that those locations adopt a different attitude where it's no longer just catering to the people that they have and that still come to church. That's a very big um, temptation, I think, for this is universal. It's not just in our parish, but it is very easy to just cater to the people that you know and to their needs. But I want these communities to become, and it's not just me who wants that, but I feel that it's necessary for their survival to adopt a mentality of reaching out and connecting with people that have left the church or that have never been in contact with the church. It's the mission of evangelization, which I feel in our dire situation here in the Netherlands with empty churches, with um, a demographic of churchgoers where like 80% of the people in church are older than 65 years old. There are communities in every parish where there are no people under the age of 50 in church on a weekly basis. So you can imagine what, what that will yield as a result in 10, 20 years from now. It means that church will no longer be there. Or at least it will, perhaps the building will be there, but it will not, no longer be used for worship. In order to, to change that, I think God has given us all the tools that we need. I, I really believe, and it's my premise, that the church is here to grow and not to die. And if you look at the early days of Christianity, where they had much less people or, and, and resources that compared to us, but what characterized that church was their, their missionary zeal and their growth. 
And it's when Jesus talks about the future, he talks about the seeds that grow, about you know old trees that start to blossom again and bear fruit. And so in his mind, it was very clear that, that if you want to join his future, there needs to be growth. If there's no growth, then you shouldn't blame it on God, but you should examine your conscience and, and ask God for new directions and a new mentality, perhaps. Well, that's, in a nutshell, the, the basis of a process that I've just started in, in my own parish, in one location, because I can't do everything and I have li- very limited time. But it does require a lot of work in the next six months. I'm going to work with one location and try to help them grow again. And the first thing you need to do when you have a sick patient, because I do believe that, that, that a lot of our locations are, are like ill patients. Um, that the, they feel they don't have enough life in them anymore. It's to change. It's it, well before the change. You have to uh, you have to um, give a diagnosis, and we have to agree on that. And so my the, the first the first phase of this is to make them see their, their blind spots. And I literally had them raise their hands a while ago in church, based on the age group that they belong to. And this was a family mass. It was directed towards children and their parents. And less than 5% of the people in church were part of a young family. There were just 20 kids on, on, on the, in the entire church. And that was a mass that was geared towards kids. So it, I think it came as a shock to them to see that like 80% of the people that were in church were above the age of 65, 70. And the, the, before you can change that, you have to realize that. You have to acknowledge that. It's a location where we haven't had altar uh, uh, boys and girls for, um, for several months now. The last kids uh, said goodbye, I think it, like, perhaps a half a year ago. There have been no more new children and that's, I, that's a big symptom of, of an underlying pro- problem, and that is apparently uh, that community is unable to bind young families to them. And so it's a, it's a reason for concern. And most of the times the reaction that I encounter is one of resignation. They're like, ah, oh, it's all over. What are you going to do? Let's just do what we've always done. And I'm thinking, no, if the church is defined by growth then your reaction should be we are a a, a community that needs to go back to the doctor (laughs) ask God what is wrong with us that this doesn't work anymore it has worked for 2,000 years so what what are we doing wrong and how can we improve it that's you have to turn that negative uh, feeling of resignation into positive strength you know, now that we know that something is missing and we're doing something wrong, what can we do to, to change that? And I don't think it's rocket science. When I hear people saying, oh, it's so hard to reach young people nowadays, I'm thinking that's, that's nonsense. That's an excuse. I, I may sound harsh, but I truly believe that. If it, was, if it were rocket science, then Jesus would have sent us rocket scientists instead of apostles. 
but he builds his church with very fallible, simple people. Well, not all of them, but some of them. And, and yet it works because these people are focused on one thing only. That is their mission. Jesus sends them to go out. He doesn't tell them to, well, you know, for the next few years, you're just going to sit in the synagogue and man, just, you know, read the Bible and pray a bit and chat amongst each other. He gives them a very clear message and mission, and that's you go out to the ends of the world and you make disciples. That's, that's what they do. And that's why it growed back then. And it's exactly what we don't do nowadays. We've become complacent. We've become afraid of the world and of the culture that surrounds us. And as a result, our way of dealing with that which we fear is to close the doors and sit inside and, you know, feel cozy with the people that are already there. Um, that's a recipe for, for failure, I believe. So that's a, But I've put in a lot of effort. So one of the things that we did for Christmas was what we need to do is to um, first, before we can bind people to us, we have to know them. We have to know where they live. We have to know what they want and what they need, more importantly. Sometimes people don't want what they, should, what they need. <laughs> and the, the quickest way to do that is to use Christmas, where you have huge church attendance. And in one of my, um, like Christmas Eve mass, I had like 750 people in church. <laughs> That's massive. But I, I, I'm pretty sure that we don't know the address of about 70% of those people. So I came up with this idea, which we executed. Let's, let's, let's do what we do on the internet. Let's, let's use social media techniques. What is the big thing you want to do when you are promoting your content? It's to build community. How do you build up community? You make sure that they know how to find you and that you can reach them. And so I always ask people, please subscribe to our podcasts. That's a way to, to know how to reach people. Um, make sure to like our Facebook page, Tradio EN. And if you haven't done that, go ahead. It just takes you five seconds. And then we can connect. And we have a connection. Same thing with Twitter. If you're using Twitter, which not everybody uses, just you know, click that subscribe button and follow button and follow Tradio EN. And then we, ha we have a contact that goes beyond incidental like people coming across your content consuming it and then walking away again and I felt that for our parishes we could do the same how do you convince people that they need to tell us where they live and I really didn't need their their real addresses what I mostly needed was their email address because that's something that almost everyone has nowadays even older people they may not be on social media but they do have email and so I, I thought, you have to make it fun. <laughs> and so we, we printed a folder, um, and they could tear off the half of it. And they could, uh, on the one half that they could keep, we had a number of activities and things, fun things, for the, in the next couple of months, just to give them a reminder of something they can keep, and, and uh, that will help them realize that, Church is more than Christmas. 
Um, and on the other half, they were invited to write down their names and addresses and email addresses and to tick a box that with which they say it's okay for the parish to approach me a few times per year with some news about activities that might be of interest to us. But I felt like if, if you just drop it like that and we bought like thousands of pens that they could bring along with them, of course also with the address of the, the, the website address of the church on it, if you would just leave that on their seats in the church without an incentive, then a lot of people will not do that. So we turn it into a game. And um, the other priest and me uh, promised to cook a meal for <laughs> one of the people per mass that we had that would be uh, chosen <laughs> at random from the number of people that, that signed up for our, the, that email newsletter. And so we gave them time when, when it was time for the to uh, collect uh, the donations or the, the gifts, the, how do you say that? When people give money. <laughs> That's usually a time when they're already a bit distracted. And so we told them, just take a look, take, take a few seconds, fill in your name. And then we did it in one sweep uh, while we were uh, collecting their, their donations. We were also collecting those entries. And then at the end of Mass after... Mass was finished, uh, I drew one name during every Mass and, and invited those people for that dinner that would be cooked by the two priests. People loved it. We had no complaints whatsoever. We've had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people filling in that application or that, you know, yeah, let me know. Keep me, keep, let's keep in touch. That's basically what they said. And then a few people that were, that won the dinner that's that's another way like everyone else in church like wow i could have been at that dinner table with the two priests of our parish and and so it created almost um a, a feeling of you know it's desirable to be part of the of the of the club you know i, I it's it it makes it personable it makes it relatable and so that was a huge success but again as you can imagine it's a ton of effort to, to develop that. And of course, I didn't do that just by myself, but just putting that in place, making sure that everybody, because I was not not the only priest who celebrated Masses during Christmas time. So I had to, had to make sure that all the locations and all my colleagues were informed and knew what to do and how to do this. I mean, this is my, this, this is my daily thing, building community. But for a lot of the other, my colleagues, this is new. This is something they've never done before. So I had to give them some pointers as to how to how to do this, how to promote this. Um, and then, of course, it's not just Christmas, but then afterwards you have a, a, almost every Sunday for a while is a special Sunday because it's the Christmas season. And then the third uh, big uh, area of work in the past few weeks has been, or months, has been my TV show. And I told you how we decided to change the name, the title of the TV show. It was called Catholic, the ne Catholic Holland TV. <laughs> and it's on, it's on national TV. And it's, it was originally a show that had to cater to Catholics. 
and to a specific subset of those Catholics, the people that still go to church every once in a while. It's a very loose description. And so most of my program was dedicated to informing that particular demographic and show them what fellow Catholics were doing, giving them news about the, and updates about the Pope, and so on and so forth. Also, we knew that the age group of the people that watched it is very old, 70, 70 and up, and uh, uh, like two-thirds of the audience is female. They can all measure that because, well, we, we, that's national TV. You have the benefit of having those stats. And then we decided, and I'm, I have always been a big proponent of that, to not to change the orientation and the Catholic nature of the program, but to change the target audience. I wanted to be able to cater to more people and to bring people into the, the, the content. But if you put a big sign at the doorstep saying, this is for Catholics, then you know that everyone who's not a church-going Catholic will probably, you know, unless a few curious people, most people will, will think this is not for me and they will just go to another channel. And so another thing that I've learned in social media is media is becoming more personal. And so the title was very abstract. It's Catholic Hall on TV. You know, TV is, is an abstraction. Catholic for many people is an abstraction. Uh, Holland is an abstraction because it's a country. It's not a target audience. Um, I'm wondering if I should cross the road here because that were no, I'm not going. I'm going back into the park. I don't want to, <laughs> I have to be on the road for the rest of the week, so I don't want to be confronted with traffic before it's absolutely necessary. Um, and so the title became Roderick Seeks Light. And some of you may think, that's weird. Why don't they say Father Roderick? It's because we don't have that equivalent in Dutch. We don't... There, there is actually not a title, unless the titles that are used in, in a parish setting for priests. It's always been a problem in the media. Like, how do you, what do you call a priest? If you're not a parishioner of that priest, you don't say Father. We don't have that term. And so they... they in, in churchy... Um, in church areas, they would say pastor, but pastor is, um, in itself, is a beautiful title. But it's also a title that is used for almost anyone or anything connected to to religion in general. Uh, and so it it doesn't say anything. Pastor can be anyone. Can can be a man, a woman, can be Protestant, can be even atheist, <laughs> humanistic. They they're all calling themselves pastors. And I have no problem with that because it's a, I mean, it just means someone who's shepherding other people, but it's not a very good title. And so in, in most cases, at least in my world, people just call me by my first name um, because when I'm introduced on the, in media or whatever, you know, I'm just Roderick, who is this always optimistic priest, um, very much in tune with um, the new media and with the younger generation, etc., etc. And it is not at all a sign of disrespect that they don't use a title like in, in, in the United States or in English-speaking countries. It would be a sign of disrespect if you don't call a priest father. 
it's, it's unthinkable. <laughs> well, here it's not at all like that. And so I was totally fine with that name. Uh, my last name has a, a, a added complication that it's a German name, which most people cannot remember, let alone spell. And so, and Roderick is a pretty rare name in the Netherlands. So it kind of kind of works, kind of works. And so, and it is personal. And it, what I loved most about the new title is, it has it, it's a mission. It's not abstract. I'm seeking light, stories of hope, stories that makes you go. Wait a minute, we can change the world. Perhaps not the in you know the big world, but the small world in my own neighborhood, in my own life, I can change that. I can have a positive contribution. And those are the stories that I'm pursuing. Connected to that was, of course, the big change that I'm making a number of the, those programs myself. I film them, I edit them, I do all the pre-production. Um, and so it literally makes the program personal because it's me making, bring, taking people along with me. It's very much the TV equivalent of what I've been doing in podcasting with this episode of The Walk and with The Catholic Insider, the dawn of podcasting for, for more than, what is it, 12 years now? And so it's a style that I'm very familiar with. It's just that making television is a lot harder and more uh, laborious than making podcasts. I don't have to explain that, but it's, it's, it's the case. I mean, and I am, <laughs> I'm in a privileged position that I, I work very fast. I, I can film, I can present it. There's a lot of routine already in this work, thanks to all those years that I've been doing this. Um, and, and so I, can, I, but it still costs a ton of work. One episode, you know, if I'm really, really, really focused and everything comes together and, uh, and there are no technical problems, I, I can make an episode in about five days. It's about two days of filming, two days of editing, and then one day for the preparation and the final things. That's in an ideal situation. The fact is, in reality, it's oftentimes seven, eight days of work. And even that is considered to be very, very fast and efficient. Um, so I signed, I signed up, I volunteered to uh, uh, making a number of episodes. Main reason was I wanted to make sure that the new program had, had this new feel to it. And if, if, if you want a more personal approach, then you have to be in it more and not just be the guy who says, you're now going to watch to an episode that was not filmed by me. I was not there. I don't know what's in it, but enjoy it nevertheless. That was the reality of my TV show for many years. And I didn't want that anymore. The second reason that I volunteered to do, to film a number of episodes was it, it brings in money. Not much. It's, it's actually incredibly sm uh, small as a budget. Uh, we came from about, I guess, 25,000 euros per episode, 25 minutes. This was just two years ago. Not kidding you. To 5,000. And in the past, the show ha could, it, there was additional <laughs> resource. The, the, there were people that were preparing this. Every episode had two 
three people working every single day on preparing the interviews and selecting the topics and discussing it and and that you could call at any time for advice and they would make things happen. There was a producer, full-time producer, who made sure that we didn't, as you know, the makers didn't have to worry about um, the, the logistics. All that is gone. The only thing that is left is 5,000 bucks per episode, all included. You have to do everything yourself. If I produce an episode in Rome, same 5,000 bucks. I have to pay my hotel, my flight, set up the interviews, uh, film everything. It's, it's, it's insane. It's really insane. But for a small, tiny little organization like SQPN, it is a way to generate a bit of income. Because in, in the Netherlands, our audience is still, it's, it's, it's tiny. We still have to build that up. We, we've had, we have a more uh, substantial audience internationally. But in the Netherlands, there, we don't have donors. We have a few sponsors. But it's, it's really negligible compared to the already very small donor base that we have in the United States. I mean, look at our current winter fund drive. We've been working at it for since, since uh, All Saints Day. We're only at 40%. And that's based on a very, very small budget where we cut corners and try to squeeze every single drop of our time and resources to bring you these episodes. And, and yet, we're still at only at 40%. There are about 150 people that have donated so far. Um, out of thousands of listeners. And I'm not blaming anyone, but I'm just telling you, even internationally, it's already very, very a very daunting enterprise to continue doing this, let alone in the Netherlands, where we have, I don't know, five, six donors, that's all. And those donations are like five bucks a month. Well, you cannot produce media for five bucks a month. It's impossible. So uh, the, the income that, that we generate with those television shows is, is more than welcome. But here's the real price that I'm paying. Um, I've been working nonstop since November on the various things that I just mentioned. Also, I had a television show almost on a weekly basis that I had to produce. The, I'm paying the price, or a large portion of the price, and I pay it, and this is what worries me, I pay it with my health. And that is not good. That's absolutely not good. I look like a zombie. I feel like a zombie because I've been pushing myself and everything goes well. I mean, <laughs> there have not been any disasters yet and I'm very happy with the quality of the output. But I have to be honest and, re and, realize, and recognize that I'm, I'm paying with my health. Um, let me give you some examples. I don't sleep well. Uh, I, I, this past night, I dreamt of the interview that I have to do to this afternoon and tomorrow. Those interviews are the, are, have to deliver because that, the TV show 
um, needs to be edited in well, probably just one day. An entire TV show, 25 minutes. I only have one day. Why? Because next week I'm going to Rome. And everybody always tells me, oh, you have such a fun life because you get, the, you get to go to Rome. What most people don't realize is that when I'm in Rome, I have to film, this time I have to film four episodes of 25 minutes. That is um, 12 items of seven minutes in just five days, which means 12 interviews, 12 people, 12 <laughs> stories that you need to tell, 12 recording sessions. Um, it is a ton of work and a ton of stress because we're filming this in the wintertime and the weather in Rome in, during the winter is very unpredictable. Uh, I'm filming this without living in Rome, so I don't, I don't even have the time to, to approach everyone. And so fortunately there is a producer uh, who has, I think, a one day per episode available to help me, uh, which is not paid by me. So that's a grace. I mean, without that, this would be completely impossible. And this time also, and that's a, another blessing, um, uh, Inge is going to come along as a production assistant. She's never been in Rome. Uh, she doesn't know the place, doesn't speak Italian. So, uh, but it is very um, helpful to have someone that can think along because in for almost every single day, and I've, I've done this two or three times before now in Rome, you're constantly thinking on your feet. You have to improvise so much. And you're like, okay, what, how am I going to solve this problem? Having someone who can focus on, on the practicalities while I'm focusing on the content is going to be very, very helpful. Also, having someone who can help me in situations where I'm interviewing someone and I have my equipment and I cannot leave that unattended. So it's... I, I don't even know how I pulled it off the, f the first few times. But nevertheless, it's going to be a, a tremendous amount of work. And I've already been kind of having nightmares about <laughs> everything that could go wrong. And the last time I was there, uh, we don't have the budget f uh, for, for, you know, nice hotels and everything. We're flying like super low budget. Uh, don't have much time or, or resources for food also nor no no spare time so believe me I love Rome but when you have to be there to do this kind this amount of work it's insane you don't really get to enjoy it you just try to survive it it's literally how I feel but the alternative is that I have to go back to Rome and that would cost me so much more effort and time and stress so I want to try to do this, but I already know it's, it's going to kill me. Well, not literally, but this is going to be insane. And I'm doing this with almost no reserves left. It's not good. It's not good. If I'm honest, this is... If I, in hindsight, I should have spaced this out more. I'm kind of hoping that this is because... We're still learning. 
I'm still discovering what I can and what I can't do. So I, I just consider this a learning process. What, what can I pull off and what not? And where do, do I feel that I'm going over my, over my uh, limits? And the fact that I have trouble sleeping, the fact that I don't have enough time to go out for walks or runs, um, that I... Even when I try to relax, I can't. It, like after Christmas, I freed up an entire week knowing how hard I had worked, how busy Christmas would be. So I told myself I will have a week off and I did everything I could to have no appointments and I failed. I was able to take two days of rest during which I did nothing but sleeping that's how tired I was. And then I had to sacrifice the rest of that free week to editing the first episode of my show. So I couldn't recover. And then from then on, it was just nonstop. Getting the next show and the next show, all the presentations and Rome. And the only thing that keeps me going, there are two things that keep me going. Three things. First thing is, God keeps me going. Honestly, every day I pray, God, get me through this. Don't, don't let me fall ill. I know that I'm pushing my limits. I know that this is irresponsible. I know this is not good. But I, when I planned this, I did not realize this. So I'm still learning. God, you have to help me. <laughs> Please. Because I will, I will learn from this. That's definitely something I promised him. But... I need some supernatural strength in order to pull this off and, and help me, most of all, to not be afraid. Because this is very, this is scary stuff. Knowing that you have a fixed deadline and knowing that there is almost no time and no, there's no margin anymore. There's no support. There's no one who can fix problems if they occur because I'm the only person who does this. So that's a big, so I'm, that makes me sometimes very scared. That's why I don't sleep very well but I ask God to help me not be afraid and stay upbeat it's hard <laughs> for God I think to to help me with that because I I oftentimes I'm not open enough I think to to receive that help the second thing that keeps me going is the knowledge that after Rome things will calm down a bit um, there are less uh back-to-back -back episodes that I need to uh, shoot. Um, we'll go back to a more steady rhythm and I will have a little bit more time to recover after having worked hard on, on, on a TV show. It will also give me more time to record my podcasts again, which is also something that is, uh, is always on my mind. You know, I committed to this and this is still what I'm doing right now. This is the core of my mission. Television is just, well, in a way, it's, it's, it's a tool. It's a, it's a way to get to, to where I want to be. But I, my dream is to go beyond what I'm currently doing on TV. But I need to do this to get from A to B. Um, the, so but th that kind of helps me to think once Rome is done the stress will lessen 
And the third thing that keeps me going, and this is a big one, is the, is the fact that at, after Easter, I will walk away from all of this, from all the stress, from all the obligations. I will walk away from it and six, for six weeks. I will leave everything behind except for a pair of socks, some underwear, t-shirt, backpack, and I'll walk from Lourdes, from literally from the beginning of my vocation to Santiago de Compostela, the future of my priesthood. And the more I think of it, the more I, th I feel that the way it came together, the, the way the genesis of this whole idea and this uh, desire to walk to Santiago, at first I didn't know why why I wanted to do this. I just knew something was pulling me, or someone, <laughs> and I felt I need to do this. But the more I think of it, the more I think this is, this is God who is, who is telling me that it's time to walk away from all the stress and the lack of balance and, and, and literally to figure out with him how to proceed. And I'm ready for it. I feel that looking back on the, on the past few months, I feel that uh, two things. I know that this is my mission. I, the, 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 I, 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 I evangelize. That's what I do. I build community. That's what I do. But I also have realized more than ever before the way in which I'm executing this mission is not what God wants. If I look in a mirror and I see how exhausted and tired I am and drained, something is wrong and something needs to change. Otherwise, I will not be able to continue this mission uh, in the way that I, I feel I'm called to. And how to find that balance, I don't know. It starts with, with literally creating a new balance in my life and by walking away from everything that is currently destroying my health and that is um, uh, giving me the feeling that I'm paying <laughs> the price for, that, that I am the price that, I ha that I'm paying for what I do for the mission. I don't think that is, a, that is what God wants. He wants to be my strength. And, well, anyway, that's kind of, I, I feel that this, this is a very, very fundamental thing that I'm going to do. And I want to be as open as possible. I don't want to set goals or, you know, <laughs> predict what this journey is going to bring me. And perhaps after a few weeks, I will discover that my big problem is not the stress and <laughs> and the, the way I execute the mission. Perhaps there, there is something totally different that, that God wants me to discover. What I do know is that whatever God has in store for me, I can only figure that out if I walk away from everything that is occupying my mind and my time right now. And I am so grateful that everything comes together gradually, almost providentially, well, actually providentially, and I will be able to undertake this journey. 
the only thing I need to do is make sure that I survive until then. And that in itself is already quite a challenge. Well, people are walking into the park to walk their dogs. I'm walking out of the park to go to my interview. <laughs> when I mention that, I can feel the stress mounting. It's like, oh, and it's nothing difficult. I have to go to a parish in Volendam, which is a beautiful little town in the north of the Netherlands. And I have an appointment with three people um, to talk about the way they build up their community and how they raise money for it, etc., etc. And yet, it's still, it's because I have no margin that I'm like, oh, I could so use a day off and, <laughs> and then a week off and perhaps a month off. But I still have to, you know, it's, it's a few more weeks and then I can hopefully slow down. Let this be a lesson, ladies and gentlemen. I'm sharing this with you, not just because I need to tell someone this. <laughs> Believe me, I do share this with other people as well. Uh, and they're just as concerned as you may be, perhaps, and as I am. But I'm also sharing this because I know that I'm not the only one who sometimes makes these errors in, in estimating uh, how much work is is uh, involved in, in, in goals that you set yourself. I think I've been too ambitious, even though I've, I'm already much more prudent than I've ever been before. But I, I, it's only when you push your boundaries that you fi figure out where they are, right? That's with running. I, I kind of know what I can and what I can't do. I know I will never run the Boston Marathon, and I don't need to. You know, I pushed myself, and it only got worse. So I know that I'm running because I love it. And I don't run to, to gain met medals or to break records. Not even my own personal record. I couldn't care less about that. But with this, this kind of work, this is new work. This is a new lifestyle. New, in a certain way, it's a new way to fulfill my mission. I'm still pushing those boundaries to figure out where they are. And I have to conclude right now that my, my boundaries have been reached. <laughs> And I know that I would not be able to continue it at at this speed uh, for the for the rest of my life, and so I need to figure out another way to do this, perhaps more efficient way, perhaps less different choice. I don't know. That we'll figure it out. The most important thing first is to acknowledge that you are pushing the boundaries too far, and you can never do that for an extended time without paying the price and experiencing the consequences all right that's enough thank you so much for listening i hope this helps it helps you understand where i am it helps you think about where you are in life um pray for me pray for tridio pray for the people most importantly the community that we try to build the friends the future friends that we hope to reach um, donate, help us, you know, you know, now know how, how hard it is, how much we need your help. If you can, donate, help us. And finally, keep listening and help us share, help us reach more people with these shows. Um, and you can also help in an indirect way by, if you learn from this, Pass on the knowledge, not just the podcast. Share your knowledge, the things you learn in life with the people around you. 
And if you see someone who is in need of some brotherly or sisterly advice or fatherly or motherly advice, don't hesitate and help people and give them some time, give them your ear so they can share whatever is is difficult for them and, and, and give them advice. And same for you. If you need uh, someone to talk to, look for those friends. F- find people that you can share whatever is occupying your mind, your struggles, and you, you'd be surprised how much you can learn from random strangers. <laughs> if, if you need one, seek for a spiritual guide, someone who can help you um, build your life, your relationship with God. That too can be a tremendous help. That's how we, that's the true meaning of community, I think. That's what we need that's what we want to be. It's uh, a community of people that help carry each other, that, that share advice, that share wisdom, and that are, you know, sharing strength in friendship. Because having friends, having a community that cares is the biggest treasure that you can ever have. And you are my treasure. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Take care, and I will talk to you soon. Bye-bye.